again. Welcome to episode nine of the Food Coma podcast. Uh, with us today is Brian Kevin, the editor in chief of Down East Magazine, uh, the magazine of Maine. If you will, that's you have to. It's the tagline. That's right. You <laughs> have no that's, choice. <laughs> yeah, which I didn't know. Down East, in regards to the magazine, is two words. Uh, yeah, rigidly. Which you told me when I first got the job because I? I was a food editor for Downey's Magazine for three years. <laughs> and I remember I, I did a post being like, oh, I'm announcing this whole thing. And Brian chimed in. Well, the first thing you're going to have to learn is, I'm sorry, I didn't know that. is two words. No, I did it tongue in cheekily, I'm sure. Oh, no, of course. Mm. And it also is an important thing to know. I like, <laughs> like, so we'll get a lot of pitches and you have to kind of separate the wheat from the chaff somehow. And if somebody yeah. like does not bother to pay attention to the fact that it's two separate words, I will legit just like stop reading a pitch on that point. Which, so uh, there, so that, see, this is good information. <laughs> if you're out there and you're thinking, if you're even thinking about not Getting the t- getting the title correct. I mean, that makes sense, though, right? If you pitch a magazine, you want to you want to. If you act, did not take the like time, you read it, so like if you didn't take the time to, to figure out that little <laughs> <Right>. tiny <laughs> detail, then like what other detail? Will you I mean, I bothered to, to get hired by this magazine and didn't figure out that detail. But I mean, you know, it was <laughs> on the fly, kind of. Anyway, you've also contributed not just to Down East. Uh, you've contributed to Outside, uh, the New York Times, uh, Audubon. Sierra, Men's Journal, and Travel and Leisure, amongst many others. Uh, you also wrote a book about uh, Hunter S. Thompson, but not the kind of an, a non-traditional take on him. Can you tell us about that a little bit? Yes, I can. Thanks for asking. Um, yeah, so well, it's 2019. That book came out in 2014, so it feels way in the rearview mirror. I like did the research in 2010 through 2012, so it seems like a million years ago. But it's about... Um, it. Uh, so the book, which is called The Footloose American, it was about... Like, before he became the sort of gonzo persona that people know from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and um, Fear and Loathing on the campaign trail and like his 60s to 70s to beyond persona, he was just like a young reporter and like a cub reporter who was stringing for a paper that's now gone called the National Observer. And he traveled through South America for uh, over a year, almost two years, and wrote this like series of dispatches on culture and politics that are really good and really illustrative of not only like the sort of like journalistic chops that he would have underlying all his crazy shit later in life, but are a really nice introduction to like, if you want to understand Latin America or specifically the relationship between the U.S. and Latin America in the 21st century, like makes a really good starting place. Was this the period that the rum diaries were based on? It was just after. So he had been in uh, San Juan just prior to going on this junket basically for two years. So, and I read the rum diary, which is, which Rum Diaries is a great novel. Um, I mean, it's a good novel. I don't. It's a good first novel. Let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah. Um, but also kind of shows like a lot of restraint, and you can see him like aping Hemingway and mm-hmm. uh, Styron and like some like you know the sort of like proud white male writers of that Absolutely. time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I think people think of Hunter Thompson and they think of like this Gonzo character caricature maybe, but like. He was they all a think legit, fear and loathing, essentially. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But he was he was a terrific foreign correspondent yeah. before well, any of that got, ever came around. I'll, even when he was Gonzo, the amount of work that man got done for sure, given the amount of chemicals he ingested, totally. and was able to get his work done. I mean, that's a 
kind of he tapered you know like i i think that you i think that you can look at his output in like the later 70s onward and definitely see (laughs) him kind of wearing down under the influence of drugs and alcohol he wrote some good stuff periodically from that point on but his early writing i mean so the stuff that i the period that i was covering with him was like pretty straight reportage even though i think it was insightful and you could see like the glimmers of a like a creative fucking prose stylist mm-hmm. or whatever um but hell's angels which is his first nonfiction book mid 60s yep. kind of the first one of the first people to write in depth about the angels and rode with them and got the shit beat out of them by them nice if you read which it, is kind of a sign of respect i would imagine is it is it sunny barger yep. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. he's a prominent angels. character in the yeah. book and mm-hmm. i've um, not read it but i know it's great man i mean and fear and loathing in las vegas is a masterpiece i think I, you know regardless of all the sort of like dorm room snickering that comes along with it yeah. it's a tightly written I mean, tightly is maybe not the right word, but it's like, it's a it's a pretty remarkable book. And yeah. then Fear and Loathing on the campaign trail in 72, which is like his time on the campaign trail in the McGovern-Nixon election, yep. which is insane, but is a pretty remarkable document in a great read. Then there's a collection of his like early journalism called The Great Shark Hunt, which maybe it's out of print, I'm not sure. And it includes a few pieces from his South America reportage, but stuff he wrote for Playboy and Rolling Stone and um, Scanlands and other stuff. I mean, I think that stuff withstands the test of time. Later in life, meh. Well, you, you know, know, it's only there's only so much the human body can take. I guess, uh, which we will we'll get into that uh, <laughs> uh, shortly here. So yeah, also your other besides Hunter S. Thompson, uh, one of your other sort of areas of interest and in that you are you have certainly uh, written about a fair amount about is beer. Yep, uh, a little bit. Yeah, story you I yeah. remember a story you did on uh, Lion and Kugels and Goose Island. Yeah, that's like one of my you name check the New York Times. Not to make any mistake of being a prolific New York Times contributor, I've contributed exactly <laughs> twice to the New York uh, Times. Hey, you know what? I think that's good enough. I've contributed <laughs> twice to, to Vice, and I'm a Vice and contributor. And you put it on here. Yeah, no, <laughs> I did it more than once just to say I am, and then that was done with that. All right, all right. Just so um, we're clear. Yeah, I think we're fine. But I like that uh, in that piece, you know, there's the line of the one guy who's drinking like the old school, and the other guy's drinking the 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 yeah. summer weed, the summer shandy, or whatever it is they're known for. Now I know the summer weed tastes like Fruit Loops, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or Fruity Pebbles more than Fruit Loops. Uh, but it was funny, the guys like whatever, you know, you're still drinking Lion and Googles, and and that's great. Little did he know, probably that guy would be <clears throat> very disturbed to know. Uh, of the certain elements of the beer industry now. Yeah, this was only a couple of few years ago. But it's uh, it's, it's rapidly, I think, taken off. For somebody like him, I mean, I think pumpkin beer is obviously a great jumping off point uh, because it's, it's around Halloween season. right now. And yeah. even though pumpkin beer comes out in August, uh, we can talk about that. Like earlier every year, right? Earlier, because yeah, they're yeah. like, oh, people really just, you know, same thing with the pumpkin spice latte. I used to like pumpkin spice things like pie what's weird now, though is it's presumably not the same people right like the people who are showing up at starbucks no. to drink the pumpkin spice no, they latte. do both that's that's their daytime thing and they drink a pumpkin beer <laughs> at night they usually aren't morning drinkers pumpkin beer drinkers i don't think i don't know a lot of like hardcore alcoholics who are like slugging pumpkin head before they go to work i don't think now you speaking of of slugging before you go uh, to work yeah. you have showed up with a four pack of the paps blue ribbon yep. hard coffee which we've established is a malt liquor yeah it says malt beverage right here okay. with natural and artificial flavors i'm gonna say more artificial than natural based on the one sip i've had so far yeah um but it's clearly i mean this is like an allen's knockoff it's not a beer which was my big curiosity um, what are your initial impressions of the, this is your first time tasting it. i literally have had one sip shall i have another um, yeah i like that and i like the just the 
the seductive noises of those the ice mm. cubes. They clink those around. Like, those are made with terminal um, spring water. It doesn't taste a bit like alcohol. I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't taste like. It looks like Yoohoo. You know, like Alan's has got a little bite to it. It's a lot like Yoohoo. It's like drinking a, a black Russian or like a white, white Russian, Russian without yeah. too much milk. It's almost like drinking um, one of those. Remember those Kahlua mudslides? You I get don't even. Bottles. Oh, I waited tables at Applebee's for <laughs> several years. I know quite a bit about <laughs> mudslides. Yeah, Kahlua mudslides. Um, no, I did not know about I, this chapter in your career. Yeah. I was gonna. I was hoping you wanted to talk about Applebee's. the service industry. Absolutely, at some we're gonna point. get into that. Yeah, yeah, we'll get into that. There's no <laughs> nutritional information on this box, as far as I can tell. No, so I'm that's... sure we can, we're pretty sure we know what the ingredients are. <laughs> and if you're concerned with calories, don't drink creamy beverages. That's pretty much my advice to you. I was counting on leaving the three that I didn't drink here with you. You can because that'll be one of those. It'll be like one of those artifacts. Like I have actually, they're still in the back of my fridge on its side, sort of like wedged back there. It's not a white cloth seltzer. It's the one that came out before that. I don't know. It's what got the mermaid are. on it or something. Uh-huh, yep, somebody yep, yep. left I've it here. This. I think it's yep. pomplamoose. I think it's grapefruit. Yeah. So I told you this before we got taping, but I, this is like a little bit of main. This is an official Down East research gig because like the Press Herald told me that we are one of several. Maine is one of like three or four or five uh, test markets for this beverage. This and then just this weekend, beverage. the New Yorker, I think it was the New Yorker, someplace online, um, I saw something about how they're gaining in uh, popularity, like this huh. coffee mix of beverages is the new thing. And so because it's, we it's, like it's, it's the new alternative, the new hot alternative. Alternative. That's what they call them. I think ah. that's what this is. I think that Smirnoff Ice was the one that finally coined a new term for that that shelf at so the gas station. I'm going to tell you that I did my college study abroad in 1999. I went mm. to Edinburgh. I lived in Scotland huh. for... I, the semester lasted four months and then I hung around. Cool guy that I was. I they stuck drink around. a lot of Zima over in well, Scotland. Well, Zima right? was yeah. over by that point. <laughs> but Smirnoff Ice, or, or Smirnoff, the little clear bottle of malt liquor, Smirnoff Ice. didn't yeah. exist in the U.S. yet, but it was huge there really? in 1999. Were people like icing each other like the bros do here? What does that mean? Oh, you know what icing is? Uh-huh. Uh, there was a phase. Everybody had it. It, was, it became tongue-in-cheek for people because the bros would do it. You basically hide a smear off ice and as soon as the person found it by accident, like, they have to get on one knee and pound it. So, like, you know, I work at the <laughs> liquor store and I put them in, like, the cash wrap so the person that's opening the store, you know, like, finds it, has to get on the knee and take a picture of them slamming the smear off that's ice. That's hilarious. And, and it's weird icing that. each other. You'd, you'd tape the bottle to stuff. And, and those things, I'll tell you, they you can take all the Prilosec in the world and those things still, the heartburn from those smear off ices from doing that, pounding those things. I don't know if I've ever had one. I just remember Pretty being yucky. in the U.K., and seeing the like frenzied rate at which people were consuming it in 1999, <laughs> and thinking like it was more, it was one of my first realizations of just like the the way global capitalism you sort of the way trends migrate. You yeah. know, being like, wow, how is this not a huge thing right. in the U.S.? And then within like 365 days, it was a huge thing in the U.S. And the but fact that it was away. in Scotland, and you picture them with like a flagon of ale and like a tumbler of, of really peaty, smoky whiskey. Which, that was there too. Yeah. Um, you know, but it was like, you would go to clubs. I didn't really right. care for them right. all that clubs, much, yeah. but it was like the pubs closed early. So if you were somebody who was, like I was, I think at the time, like 19 or 20, and so you were very enthusiastic about the fact that you could drink it all. Yeah. Um, if you got a nose like stuff would blow, trying to drink smoky whiskey is pretty gross. I, okay. <laughs> that's I'll like literally, yeah, that's like trying to do blow and eat delicious food. It's but so the pubs close at like 11, and so you'd find, find yourself in these like clubs, like, you know, like a dance club exactly, but like just like, a, I don't know, like music. The one in train spotting. 
Yeah. That one scene yeah, in yeah. Trainspotting where Bagby hooks up with uh, the man by accident doesn't know it's a man. I haven't seen that in so long. But yeah, that's exactly like You know, that, that movie came out 23 <laughs> years ago now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I remember that. <laughs> so anyway, getting back to beer. Sorry. Now that you've sort of indulged in your... Um, Paps Blue Ribbon Yoohoo Cooler. Distinctly not beer for anybody who's right. listening and has looked at it at the store and wondered. Whereas pumpkin beer, on the other hand, is considered beer. Now, the reason I want to bring this up is I used to do when I had a, a blog, because that's what you do. You have a blog in the late, uh, in 2009. They're coming back. Mm. I read mm-hmm. somewhere. I think podcasts are the new blog, to be honest. I mean, um, podcasts are the so They require blog. a little more equipment than a blog. But <laughs> so I did a, a, a feature called Pumkaka that was based on my abhorrence of pumpkin beer. Uh, so I got, you know, three friends together in 2000. I think it was 2009 we started this. And at that point, we could we could scrounge together, I believe it was seven different pumpkin beers. And so we, we lined them up and we literally just rated them, called it, you know, like we saw it. And every year we would do this tasting again. And, and because the popularity was growing, there'd be more beers. By the time we did what I called the Last Supper, where we actually have an interesting photo of us uh, posed like the Last Supper in front of all the balls. There were 36 different pumpkin beers. And how many apostles to your Christ? Uh, there was the uh, the normal amount. What, what is that, 12? I think. 13? <laughs> I don't know. Like biblically it the, normal? It was biblically. We had the, I just know we had the poses right, and we all took our shirts off. Um, which you'll be able to see that. It's framed on the hallway. I'll show you the way. I remember it's it. It's delightful. Anyway. Uh, taken by Zach Bowen. Thank you, Zach. Uh, I... So anyway, yeah, so we had 36 beers, and people would always be like, oh, man, I really want to like come do the pumkaka thing. That sounds fun. And I'm like, the thing is, it's not fun. Uh, you'll hate it. Everybody who does it, like, their hands select. A lot of people don't return because they can't. It's an endurance. It's a grueling endurance match to taste 36 pumpkin beers. And at the time, I wasn't even drinking. I spit on that last one, every single one. That's and I impressive. still was like, I mean, I, well, the good thing is it wasn't tempting to swallow them. Um, so I was just like, you know, it was, but it was, it's, they're vile. So what I thought I'd do, because it's close to Halloween, um, because I'm not going to do another pumkaka tasting because I promised all of my friends I would never do that to them again. Uh, so I decided I would, I would kind of get us a few of our greatest hits from the last tasting here it's for the Brian and I to read. Ghost of Pumkaka's Pass. Yes, it's the Ghost of Pumkaka Pass. So I thought we'd uh, just just read a few beers. So we're basically we're gonna we're gonna name the beer, and then I like to cite what the either the the literature on the packaging or the website is so how they view the beer and then we get into how the judges actually felt about the beer so you can get a, a feel for pumkaka which if you want to read the whole thing uh just go to joericcio.net oh you've got this up there yeah did all you make of them are on media there. out of it did you make a video or uh... no they're all just written yeah uh, we didn't make a video back in the days you can literally but that. all of them are act- but correct me if i'm wrong this concept gave birth to the too much of a good thing Kind of. Column Actually, kind of. Yes, Dispatch. Because yeah, I told you like how much I admired that. I loved doing that, yeah. and it, it did. As far as the endurance part, people being like, oh, I'm going to taste 26 cans of tuna side by side. Yep. It's not easy. Um, it definitely gave rise to that. Because it's fun, because that's really the only way to really accurately judge 36 different kinds of the same thing is to taste them all side by side. So I thought I'd start with the classics. You know, Pumpkinhead, is, I think, is the one that most people throughout this whole country, I think, know about Pumpkinhead. Uh, at this point, uh, it's made by Shipyard Brewing right here in Portland. Uh, so these are what the entries would, would kind of go like. Now, what the brewery would say is that Shipyard Pumpkinhead Ale is a crisp and refreshing weed ale with delightful aromatics and subtle spiced flavor. A seasonal favorite. 
Try Pumpkinhead with a shot of spiced rum or in a pint glass rimmed with sugar and cinnamon. Now, if that's not a red flag for a beer telling you to dump some rum in it and then rim the glass with sugar, uh, I don't know what is. Anyway. Is it telling you to put the rum in the beer? With a shot of spiced rum. Alongside? Well, that could well, I think it's like a boiler maker. As, like have or, it alongside. E- even so, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and, you know, announce that that pairing is, 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 a, is suspect. So then we take it to the judge's corner. Now, and I'm just going to go through, we're going to go through each of these. I'm going to start with what I had to say, which was that it's uh, pumpkin. Heads, it smells like dentine gum. Uh, it's always smelled like dentine gum and tastes like eating out of a terrarium filled with dead hamsters. I rated that one a 21 <laughs> out of 100. Uh, Deets, these are just the other tasters. Boom, they really nailed the artificial cinnamon extract level this year. Terrible, but maybe more drinkable than last year's. Comes in at 18 out of 100. Shaheen. So, it, time out. Time yeah. out. We, we need an explanation of the metrics. 100 is supposed to be like, I'm 100 is a kind beer of that you would drink. 100, yeah, okay, it's okay. 100 is a beer. It doesn't matter if it's pumpkin. It's not like 100 for a pumpkin 100 beer. 100 is, I would conceivably order 100 is like a kick-ass beer. Oh, okay. Okay, so okay. that we're literally, it's, it's going against everything. So, 50 is like if you bought if one a, for me if a pumpkin beer I gets a 50 yeah yeah all right and you'll notice everybody has different palates but you know there's some that are universally despised shaheen said that the pumpkin head was like eating a cooked baby carrot that has been glazed with holiday spice flavored lube and spent time in someone's asshole uh 20 out of 100 uh, nolan said this shit is already this shit is always weirdly earthy kind of like being force fed cinnamon while being tied to a car and dragged for miles uh two out of a hundred hmm. uh jim said it's a uh, jim who Devin who always showed up with his um tummy paint uh painted like a big pumpkin hmm. uh it's as if they hate people's tongues four out of a hundred uh andrew Barron, like Coors light with a tortani fl- with a torani flavor shot thrown in Reserving judgment, but this beer is a rare, rare example of man's hubris. 13 out of 100. And lastly, our friend Joe Hardy. Uh, it's like wet soil with an unholy aroma. It tastes like mm. dentine that has been sitting around since the 70s. Why would anyone buy this 5 out of 100? So now if, you get the idea of what we're working with here. If I may approach this as an editor for yes. one moment, I'm going to say that Joe H. says this tastes like dentine that's been sitting around since the 70s, which sounds gross, but not so gross, and gives it a 5 out of 100. Whereas somebody who described it as a carrot that's yeah. been removed from someone's asshole gave it a solid 15 <laughs> more points. See, and that's how you understand the different flavor of personalities. <laughs> you know, everybody's palate, it's all, Everybody's it's all subjective. On a subjective it's scale. all yeah. subjectivity. It makes now, you wonder what Shaheen Zero would be. Well, we'll find out maybe. Given that the um, ass carrot got We'll a go ahead and read 20. one of the ones that I've highlighted for you now. You get to choose. All right. Oh, I do? Yep. Okay. I'm, I'm going to begin with cut. Southern Tier then. <laughs> this is the Warlock Imperial. Stout, cool name. Uh, it's a stout, so if you're gonna put pumpkin in something, you might as well put it in a beer that's got like absurd and like largeness to it. Because I've had the pumpkin head, that's an ale, right? I mean, that's like yeah, a you, they call it yeah. an ale, yes. All right, so the brewery says Warlock is brewed to enchant your palate on its own and also to counterpoint our imperial ale, Pumpkin. That's P-U-M-K-I-N-G, no hyphen. Step one, make your own black magic by carefully pouring this imperial stout into a goblet. Dark and mysterious, the Blackwater series, series God damn it, is serious about high gravity. Reanimate your senses with Warlock's huge roasted malt character, moderate carbonation, and spicy pumpkin pie aroma. Capital letters here. Food pairings. Oh, got it. I love the food pairings. Spicy barbecue, smoked or roasted foods, or maybe you can try it as a float with a scoop of organic vanilla ice cream, vanilla ice cream, uh, or paired with a slice of carrot cake. 
I'm gonna go back a step here and say the notion of a, a pumpkin stout <laughs> float with vanilla ice cream that does not seem so crazy to me. I have not had this no. beer, yeah. but I would try it. All right, um, Joe said this is like rifling through a box of Fanny Farmer chocolates and discovering each one has been bitten in half by an inebriated clown. It also reminds me of vanilla ET breakfast cereal. Yes, Ooh, from the eighties. Suitably retro. Six out of one hundred. I'll point out that's fourteen points fewer than the ass carrot. Just for anybody keeping score. Uh, Deep says dark toasty graham crackers. If you jammed a broken cigarette up your nostrils, nostrils, you could probably jam a couple of these. Down a couple of these before throwing up all over yourself and pissing in the closet. 18 out of 100. Shaheen Subway Tootsie Rolls. Magically nasty. 19. So, Shaheen, we are you know, not Obviously, there's also palate fatigue <laughs> that eventually goes on. I've shuffled this. my pages. That's Shaheen rating <laughs> Subway Tootsie Rolls one point lower than an ass carrot. Mark, so much vanilla. So, period, much, period, vanilla, period. Like eating a vanilla candle. I mean, I love vanilla. But I don't want to eat my way through a Yankee candle store. Jim, all caps, many repetitions of letters here. Vanilla. <laughs> but a solid 65 out of 100. Yeah, he likes the vanilla, I guess. You know? uh, Nolan says, I can almost get a bit of hazelnut through the full-on assault of burnt chemicals. 10 out of 100. That's 1 out of 10 if you know your fractions. Aaron <laughs> says, does Axe body spray make a graham cracker fragrance? So bad, 15 out of 100. Joe H. says, like stale... What is that word? Here docs? Cookies? Hydrox. Hi, hi, oh, they were like the other Oreos. Oh. The other, uh. There were certain families. We were an so Oreo family. There were Oreos family. families and <laughs> yes. Hydrox families. We were also an Oreos Hydrox. family. So can I ask, how was this uh, feedback recorded? Did people write this or yes. did they say it out loud? And, they oh, were all okay. given either notepads or told to write in their phone and send it to me. And I compiled uh, and I chose the... Wait, because you weren't doing it in real time together in a room? Oh, we were. Oh, But okay. as far as like, I went back and wrote this whole thing. Got it. Like everybody did their notes, then I put all the notes together and, you know, painstakingly but lovingly handcrafted these posts. I'm actually going to go with the other Southern Tier Brewing. We don't have to do all these. Oh, there were two Southern Tier Breweries? Yeah, there's also the Pum, Imperial Pum, Pum King. King. Now, if I'm not mistaken, this was the one... Or people NBC like this check. is like one that's in demand. Like yeah. people will be like, "Oh my God, the pumpkin is out." I think it's our allocated. senior editor Will Grunewald spoke up for this when we tier when I paired the two of you up for a front of book item. Yes, uh, I think he liked the pumpkin. Yeah, I think so too. Um, so the brewery says Southern Tier Brewing out of Lakewood, New York. What the brewery says: All Hallows Eve is a time of year when spirits can make contact with the physical world and when magic is most potent. It is thought that we harness this magic to brew our powerful pumpkin ale. Not so. But it is with great respect to the magic of their trade that our brewers produce this fine beer. Mm. Take a whiff of this complex ale and your journey has just begun. At first sip, a magical spell will bewitch your taste buds. Yet another victim enraptured by the pumpkin. I just want to point out that whoever wrote that probably <laughs> makes like 20k more than I do. I know they do. They're like, oh, this copy looks good. They're like, oh my god, I'm so past deadline. I'm really hungover. These guys don't actually read this, right? Like, nobody's ever going to read this in a podcast. Right. Um, so how did we feel about it? Let's see. I said that um, this tastes like eating a toilet seat that has been in use by the Imperial Pumpkin for several years. Ooh. I gave it a two out of ten. Out of ten? I thought we were on a hundred scale. A hundred. I put ten for oh. five. I mean a hundred. <laughs> Whatever. You get it. Uh, Deets, that nose is so fucking awful. It's like vanilla spice air freshener, the plug-in kind, jammed into my glass. The overt alcohol whips the flavors alluded to by the bouquet into a frenzy that is just plain gross. Who would intentionally purchase this a second time? Nine out of a hundred. 
Shaheen smells like the Glade air. So we're getting the air freshener a lot. Mm-hmm. Smells like the Glade air freshener at a shitty bodega and tastes like the fluoride they made you use in third grade. Ten out of a hundred. Well, it's funny. Air fresheners are where we go to with like weird synthetic. And I guess they're they're definitely uh, yeah because taste. that's what you're sniffing. Anyway, yeah. It's a strong sniff. Mark, uh, the smell is off putting. It makes me want to cry. Fake hazelnuts soaked in whipped cream vodka. Okay, I may be crying right now. Five Aww. out of 100. Nolan says, why does this always smell like artificial hazelnut? This shit must have been aged in the stump where the headless horseman's head once was. Aggressively offensive. One oh, out of 100. That's good. Jim, fuck my life like Nilla wafers soaked in toe cheese. Tastes like gangrene smells. Eight out of 100. Doesn't like the vanilla there. Andrew Barron, really boozy. Smells like vanilla-flavored pledge. Like Frangelico and Pumpkinhead had a disgusting baby. Fuck. Eight out of a hundred. All right, I'm doing Woodchuck Private Reserve. No, so Private it, Reserve. So this is the, the, yeah, the Cider know. Maker's Reserve. <laughs> I don't know if you've been to the Woodchuck <laughs> headquarters in Middlebury, Vermont, but there's, well, there's a big building that anybody can go in, and then if you go around the back, you got to walk through this beautiful grove of apple trees, obviously, and there's uh-huh. a tiny stone building. It's been there since the colonial era, and uh, there's like an old man. It's actually, it's um, it's the Red Skull from Avengers who yeah. is there and he's wearing a, a, a robe and he you have to kill someone you love in order to get into it. Ah. Yeah, this is an Avengers movie yeah. reference. And then if you get back there, you can taste the private reserve. The cidery says... This is, the, this is where they keep the good stuff, right yeah, back there. Every once in a while, you know you stumble upon something glorious. That something just so happens to be our private reserve pumpkin. We have combined our signature taste with a refreshing pumpkin finish. Limited to just two and a half hours on the production line, this is a true connoisseur's cider. Two and a half hours on the production I don't know enough about mass-produced cider to know <laughs> what the normal amount of time on the production line is, but they've obviously hurried this one through. Judge's Corner, Joe said, uh, if you constructed an outhouse entirely from Tootsie Rolls, you'd get a good sense for the aroma of this cider. Holy Christ, this is wretched. Two out of 100. So just time out. Was it? This is not supposed to taste like beer. Presumably. No, it's a cider. Okay. Right. Uh, Deet said, "Oh God, it's like melted Parmesan <laughs> shake cheese, melted. No, sorry, metallic. Tons of diacetyl, sweet and crappy. Four out of one hundred. Shaheen said, "Green apple zima vomit nose tastes like old candy from the Dream Machine. I don't know what that is. That was an arcade that was in the main mall. Circa mm, again, you can point out that Shaheen <laughs> rated this five points more <laughs> the than butt, the ass carrot. Yeah. I am really curious yeah. about this guy's taste." Priority. Mark <laughs> says the smell is flat out offensive, like a vomit covered Tootsie Roll. Sour, but I don't think it was on purpose. Five out of 100. Nolan said if an apple flavored Jolly Rancher got fucked by a woodchuck, this would be representative of the mutated offspring. Eight out of 100. That's a. That's an aggressive review for the cider ma- cider makers reserve. That there, is, you know? yeah. It kind of makes you wonder about the, the private <laughs> the, the reserve. Stuff that they That's the stuff that he keeps for himself. So, <laughs> yeah. all right, um, we're gonna finish it. Well, I've got three more. Oh, yo. You got more? Yeah. Smells like starburst oh. flavored cheese, says Jim. Tastes like sour <laughs> walnuts and has no carbonation. Twelve out of one hundred. Had a sour uh, walnut. It's a, st- it's a still private reserve pumpkin cider. <laughs> uh, more of a more of a sweet wine. Baron says, I mean, it actually smells like a bathroom and tastes. Like a pumpkin spiced urinal cake. Ten out of one hundred. Joe H says it smells like a jolly 
rancher apple candy stuck to the floor of a bathroom. Processed fruit taste. Was this event sponsored by Jolly Rancher and Tootsie Roll, per chance? <laughs> no, no. And Glade. Yeah. <laughs> you think it was. I mean, you think that that's actually who these brewers are working with. So on that note, should we uh, talk about some sponsors or what, dude? <laughs> well, who are they? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we, well, I think ends. one, I think... Uh, <laughs> If you've uh, been paying attention to the conversation so far, uh, you'll know the <laughs> the integral part that Termaline spring water plays in my life because I do drink at least four liters of water every single day, and that's probably why I'm still alive given the good. amount of alcohol that I was consuming. <laughs> uh, what are we supposed to have? How does it? There's a formula. You, you, I don't know. I just like, drink it till I can't. I only drink water and alcohol. <laughs> so right now I just drink water and black coffee. That's <laughs> like I don't drink soda. I don't drink anything. Wait, why black? Sorry, I don't mean to take away from. Uh, I just like here, the way the coffee uh, tastes. Huh, okay. And I make the coffee with the turmaline spring water, so you get. It's not affected by the tap water flavor, okay. which is a big deal because coffee is a large percentage water. I think if you've heard this podcast enough, you know it is uh, pure, unfiltered water, straight from the spring. It's very clean, uh, just very pure tasting. Uh, it's delicious. They also do, you'll see next to you, the uh, Amethyst Elixirs. They're CBD drops. Uh, it's a, a pure gem grade, which is a, a fancy way of saying it'll get you fucked up. I don't know if CBD does that, actually. It doesn't really get you fucked up, right? Um, but know. it is water soluble, so it hits the bloodstream fast. It's I've never been the type that can that it calms me down, but that's probably because I'm used to I have such a large tolerance for alcohol that things like CBD don't have any effect on me. Anyway, it makes anything you put it in taste like delicious marijuana water. Or just dab some on your tongue. Feel free to enjoy. And lastly, they have a company. The third company in the umbrella is Living Nuts. Uh, the oh, S yeah. is a Z with the nuts, and they are uh, actually hand sprouted. Uh, organic nuts hand sprouted rather than being roasted. So it's a two day process rather than a 15 minute process. This preserves the nutritional value of the nuts while well giving it a very pleasing kind of meaty texture. And they have a, a bunch of flavors uh, of that as well. We don't have any in the studio today, but I can guarantee you if you've listened to past episodes that they are delicious. Also, I think most people it's fair to assume have been to Bob's Clam Hut in Kittery. I mean, yeah. that's a pretty iconic Route 1 Been fried clam spot. Yeah. Um, now they also, now they have a spot in Portland yeah. on Washington Avenue, uh, which is right at sort of the the beginning of sort of restaurant row, kind of what is becoming so in, oh, in totally Portland, you know? It has become, yeah. It is. So Bob's is there now, and they have a couple uh, items in the menu you can't get in Kittery. They do these really good um, clam tacos. No innuendo is actually even suggested there, but they're delicious fried clam tacos. <laughs> Uh, I had a lobster roll there a couple of weeks ago. I thought it was great. Yeah, Bob's yep. is great, and and it's it's they don't overdo it. It's just simple, and actually one of the best things there randomly, uh, a cheeseburger. Their oh, cheeseburger is absolutely yes. delicious. I and remember that because you put it in the best yes. burger list. Yes, yeah, I did. yeah, yeah. For Downey's magazine, that that's Downey's with two words: uh, D, capital E, capital E. Bob's also there is uh, if you're in Kittery and you aren't at Bob's Clam Hut. Uh, there's Lil's Cafe, which is right in Wallingford Square. Dude. This is one of the best bakeries in the state. It they really do this is. crawler that is super fun numbing. place to hang out. The crawlers are awesome. Yeah, they got all the there's records, the vinyl. record store, which yep. is not them or the vinyl it's... vault. Well, they call it the vinyl vault. I, don't know. Yeah. I think it is them. Uh, is it? Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought well, they had, it was it's on their thing. website. Oh, all right. All right. And then they also right, serve Tandem good. Coffee. It's out yep. of Portland. Yeah, Lil's is awesome. Like I like that, that place. And that's the same owner as Bob's Claremont. Who's so, a really nice guy. Michael Langard, we love him. has a like, terrific wealth of knowledge about the history of Southern Maine in general, but the food scene in Southern Maine. He's a musician. Super, like, I enjoy talking to him and go to him as a source for random kiddery-based things every so often. Absolutely. And very knowledgeable on the food business yeah. and food itself. Very enthusiastic about it. We love him. Also, um, another one of my uh, actually former employers, uh, the Old Port Sea Grill, if you're in Portland. 
Island. That is right on Commercial Street, 79 Commercial Street. Uh, it's the oldportseagrill.com. And it is basically just delicious, as as would be suggested, raw bar. Uh, one of the best lobster rolls in the state. Yeah. Great fried seafood, but also some kind of more refined, kind of high-end dishes as well. It's been there a long time. It's kind of gone through. It's evolved quite a bit. You wait tables? Or I used to or? wait tables there. Yeah. I was actually waiting tables there while I was the wine buyer at the liquor store right next door, oh. So, which was connected by a back hallway. So I was waiting tables in a place next to a liquor store that I had a key to. So I'd go over to the liquor store all through the shift, and I kept filling. I was fill my apron up with Rumpelman's nips, and shoot those all throughout the shift. I'd drink like ten Rumpelman's nips on an average shift, and I'd give them to all my coworkers. Did you ever too. like accept a shift at both at one time and run back and forth like uh, a sitcom? Well, one closed. You know, I did nights at the other place. So, but uh, trust me, I you know. And then after the shift, I go hang out in the beer cool at the liquor store and drink champagne or whatever I felt like drinking. That was a one of those things phases in your life. You're like, enjoy this, Joe. It's never going to happen again. You will never be, I can guarantee you'll never work at a liquor store and a restaurant simultaneously that are next to each other, connected by a back hallway, which you have a key to. That will never happen again. See, this is the self-awareness I'm talking about. You knew even then that this was a momentous. Yeah, yeah, don't get used to it. But we love uh, the OPSG, as we call it, Port Seagrill. And you should check it out, like I said, right on the corner of Commercial Street, right by the ferry terminal. Uh, and Bob's Portland is actually just a, to mention is at 111 Cumberland Avenue in Portland. You can find the, all the addresses to Bob's and Lil's at bobsclamhut.com or lilscafe.com. So that gives you uh, right there. That's a whole bunch of related things all in. All good sponsors. All in a row. And we are back. We are sitting with Brian Kevin, the editor-in-chief at Down East Magazine, the magazine of Maine. Now, Down East is two words, capital D. Capitally, yeah, yes. Don't capitalize anything else. Wine coolers are making a comeback, oh, um, but they're but they're you know they're not talking about like Bartles and James. They're not even talking about Cabot Pinot Grigio and tossing some club soda and whatever into an eleven. You know they're actually recommending you know you should maybe find like a nice Cremant Rosé like go with something that's already sparkling so you don't affect the integrity of the wine you know and then just put that oh, on nice. ice. And I'm kind of like, I feel like it's just, that's not a, a cooler. I feel like that's more of a spritz. I feel like a wine cooler implies that there's a trashy level that uh, doesn't really, I don't know. You don't get a spectacle out of it. In like a lower to middle class family in the Midwest. Yeah. And I was so just Barnes thinking about this. thing. Was Seagram's. quite a thing. I mean, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I mean, that's a little bit of a function of the era. There's definitely a function of like geography and class, I think. But I, just this last weekend, like it's, cold outside right now but um this last weekend i was sitting in with some friends in scarborough we had the lawn chairs out our kids were playing in the yard you know we i brought over yeah some esoteric beer i think it was um those guys in limerick that only make the german influenced beers uh nice g-n-e-i-s-s nice yeah it's a rock evidently you know we spent this sunday afternoon just like sitting there Casually sipping beer, soaking up the sun. It felt like summer yet, even though it wasn't. Watching the kids play. And I really was kind of having one of those E.B. White, like, I am my dad kind of moments where I was like, this was my parents sipping Bartles and James. Absolutely, like, brightly colored, that kind of sexily shaped little bottle um, while we dicked around in the yard when I was kids. It took me years before I knew that there was an association between, you know, wine coolers and trashiness because that was just very much what one's parents drank. Yeah, it was just you either you were a beer drinker. And usually the women I guess. drank the wine coolers. I'm that was just kind of the sure the dudes thing were in the 70s and 80s. They probably were too. My yeah. dad didn't, 
But just in my family, the women Smoking. tend to drink those. And now your children will be drinking, you know, uh, white girl rosé uh, put out by Fat Jewish. <laughs> you know, exactly. So they'll be they'll be they'll be branded. So get excited for that, and they'll be vaping. Uh, Creme brulee flavored uh, oh vape vape vaporous. That's enough to really bring me into discussing sobriety, which actually I've kind of given up drinking uh, personally. And it's be- thinking and, and talking about things like this make that decision that much easier. Oh, describing <laughs> shitty alcohol. beer and wine yeah. coolers and, <laughs> and, and, and smearing off ice. And I'm just like, you know, uh, you know, the funny thing was, though, actually, when I, I made this decision based on the fact that, I mean, anybody who knows me. Uh, knows that I consume an upsetting amount of of wine and, and tequila and whiskey to the point where they're like, okay, it makes sense why that person wouldn't drink anymore. And plus your life starts to eventually go down the shitter because, you know, you can't really, uh, you're not really going to win that battle. Yeah. <laughs> Once it's even considered a battle to begin with. Uh, you're when not, did you start thinking of it as a battle, though? Uh, I'll say that the first time that I ever quit drinking, I was 17. Yeah. Uh, that was the first time that I ever really noticed that I was drinking a lot more yeah. than anybody else. I know you got an early start because I've and I, I know you really talked old. about it on the podcast before too. Yeah, yeah. I looked really old, so I was always able to, and I, I kind of built this identity around alcohol, and so I, I knew, you know, and then of course in the early twenties was more cocaine, alcohol, and but it was always a something that was definitely destroying my life, but also I was building an identity around it. And then I got to a point where I was getting paid to drink, yeah, yeah, uh, which was sort of like the goal to be like, kind of fuck you to everybody who said that you know I drink too much. Well, no, you were paid. you were serving it, and you were becoming knowledgeable about right. it, and that's and what then you just mean. writing about it, yeah, and then actually just basically being paid, you know, the web series and stuff to get drunk on yeah. camera, which I you know it's kind of a double edged sword when you have a unlimited access to all the wine in the world and, and really good wine. Actually, it's funny. A lot of... That might just be one edge. Yeah. <laughs> What's the, I'm not sure There's what the a, second well, edge is. Well, the, the second edge is when you never have to stop. Right. And uh, it's funny, though. Every girl, most of my ex-girlfriends, they say that the first thing they get have to get used to when we break up is going back to drinking regular people wine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, God, well, this is what regular people drink. It's not all delicious. This kind of sucks. But it was also funny. The last one, I finally made the decision to, to stop and I kind of... I had to, you know, seek assistance in this. Just couldn't really do it alone because it's just very difficult. You know, there's a lot of uh, factors in play. The ego, you know, being actually addicted to your feelings. It's not even really the alcohol. It's like what it sort of lets you bury. I believe that. Or suppress, you know, and that just that doesn't get better. Like the more you keep drinking and burying that, it's just it's just you're just prolonging the inevitable, essentially. Um, But it was funny. So the last day I, I decided that I was ever going to drink. Times I had tried before, I'd almost gone like, I was like, oh, I should get something really nice. Huh. And I was like, you know what? I bought Celebrate. something so fucking mundane. I remember it was a bottle of Ghost Pine Zinfandel from Hannaford. And I was like, I'm just going to, this is going to be it. I'm going to end on something that's so forgettable. And like, you know, I'm not going to go all out. I'm just going to like, we're not going to romanticize this with a fanfare. It's just yeah, going to yeah, yeah. very quietly come to an end. And, and of course, I say that. Of course, if you see me getting drunk in a week, you can yeah. call me an asshole. But, but I mean, I, this is the first time I've ever recovery, actually said, "Yeah, I've ever been comfortable actually saying I quit drinking." Usually, it's like I'm taking a break. I'll be I heard back. You, say that. you set yourself up for being like, "Oh, just, so when you see me, you know, I just needed a little break. I took a break. Three days is fine, right?" Sure. Uh, I mean, I'm still pretty early. It's been about forty something days. Um, Shit, man. Congrats. I mean, that's oh, not nothing. Well, thank you. And just applause for having the self-awareness to, like, have that conversation with yourself. Well, it's, uh, you know, it's just uh, a lot of like, my role models have gone down that road or they've died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, usually one or the other. Uh, I can identify with a lot of things 
about a lot of these people and the the kind of struggle that they go through. And I think that uh, I, I think that there's something to be said for actually understanding what you actually feel like, not under the influence of a of a substance. Because I mean, was it a frequency thing for you, or a quantity thing, or yeah? Was it I, mean, I was drinking about four bottles of, of wine a day, about a hundred dollar a day habit. Um, yeah, it was fucking killing me. I, mean, I, I of course it limits my income to what I was already making. So it's like you're not getting, you're not going out getting sure. extra income when you're trying to manage. It basically made it so I could do everything just well enough to keep my head above water professionally. Yeah, and with people like most people, I'm not the kind. I'm not like a piss my pants, make a scene, have right, to apologize, right, right. crash my car, kind of drunk. Well, and I, I feel know? like that, like <laughs> having that be the. The mental image that people summon up when they think about someone and who that has an alcohol problem. That would have made well, it easy. But yeah. that would have made it easy. But I mean, they, they, I think it takes a lot for somebody who's not doing that to yeah. recognize themselves as having a problem. I mean, and I say this as someone who, like, you know, frankly, I self-medicate with alcohol, too. I mean, that's what it's there for, I guess. Absolutely. So it's what a lot plenty of people do. But no, I mean, I think that takes an elevated level of insight to like not be the guy that's crashing his car into a telephone pole or throwing up in somebody's, you know, front yard right. and still be able to be like, this isn't good for me. Yeah. This is, you uh, know? well, it's just, you know, you're not even, I, I don't really refer to myself as an artist, but as a creative type or whatever, Yeah, you're not creating anymore at a certain point. You're just destroying things. Yeah. Like, I, I don't, I've never believed that anybody really outside of maybe your early twenties, you know, that Hemingway character, I don't think that person exists who oh, wakes up at 5 a.m. and drinks rum as they wake up and they write. Like, yeah. that person doesn't exist. I can't get – if I start drinking, I have about a one bottle of wine window to get anything done, especially right. writing. Then I'm too distracted to do a fucking thing. And I live next to a wine store, so it's like, you know, like I said, is it four bottles, five bottles, some nights, six bottles? Some If I start a little earlier, you know, some days, three bottles. I'm yeah. taking it easy, you know? like It's funny, though, to hear you, like, invoke – basically your work and the notion of trying to accomplish work while drinking or just the amount of times I talk to somebody who's in recovery and frankly this hits kind of close to home as somebody for whom like my professional life and my personal life like there's really not a ton of distinction yep. and who puts in a ton of hours and yeah who frankly like sits there and swills beer you know if I'm working at 10 o'clock like 100% chance that I'm sitting there drinking a beer and I just talked to somebody this weekend who um, who told me this on the record but I, I don't know I just I guess I'll probably just leave it. There's like a well-known main personality who I'm yeah. interviewing for a story who was talking about his own he's been in recovery for I want to say he said a couple of decades, but he invoked his struggles with drugs and alcohol in the same breath as he was invoking not exactly workaholism, but like the inability to separate like what he does on stage, you know, entertaining people from like who he is as yeah. a person. And it's it's weird to me to think about the this like triangulation between self, you know, calling or or like professional role or vocation and substances. For so many people that seems to be this weird little triangle. Yeah. I mean it's it's like you wear that mask and yeah. you created that character and you are that character for a while, mm-hmm. but then inevitably you aren't that character anymore. And you don't necessarily feel like people aren't going to like you if you aren't that, but it's easier just yeah. to slide into that for people and whatever. than people actually know you know the, you know, that you've actually, you know, changed. Well, it's somebody, as somebody who knows you slightly and for a little bit, I mean, I 
feel pretty confident saying like <laughs> you've got a lot going for you above and beyond your knowledge of alcohol but that's got to cross your mind as you're weighing these decisions right yeah. like well that's the beauty of it is it's like <laughs> it's not like i haven't drank all the alcohol yeah. like there's nothing i haven't <laughs> tried there's nothing i haven't had really you I can write the about, expertise yeah i could look at a wine list so i can tell you what 90 percent of that list sure. tastes like exactly because yeah, yeah, i've yeah. had it i've drank all the wine i've worked in the wine business for well over 10 years restaurants for 20 years you know had just been you know just the wine's my thing yeah um you know i, I liked beer for a while kind of started fucking with my stomach I love great tequila. I love, mm. uh, I kind of was on the, towards the end, it was like, my my drink of choice at a bar is a fucking shot of tequila and a glass of Sauvignon Blanc. Mm. Like at a bar bar, you know, not like at a restaurant. Well, sometimes at a restaurant. But like, I like it. People, I just <laughs> love people's, I like the look on people's faces. I'm like, yeah, I'll do a shot of Don Julio Añejo and give me a big glass of that Marlboro Sauvignon Blanc and then just, you know, be trashy and slug the high-end yeah. tequila and drink white wine and then have like six or seven rounds of that and then go yeah. home and actually start drinking. Hmm. That was sort of what, uh, what I like to do, but it's a, uh, it's a, it takes a toll in a lot of ways. And you know, the hardest part I think is once you start lying, yeah. um, once you start lying and you're lying, you're lying to yourself and then you start lying to other people. Yeah. And then, then you don't know, you get caught in this thing where you lie so much that you don't really remember, which is, True and which isn't. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like a I mean, spiral. It, every one of us has done that. Or maybe I'm just outing myself as some. No, I mean, it's a normal <laughs> you know, like, thing to do. And I if think, not yeah. in an alcohol context, but just like has somehow gotten themselves caught up in some stupid, idiotic, dishonest thing. Yeah. And it is. It's the worst fucking feeling in the world. Yeah. There's you know? the line. There's the, the justification game where it's yeah. like the bargaining. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, I shouldn't drink. But... Here I go. And I mean, your mind is technically, your subconscious has already decided you're going to drink before you've even made what you think is your decision. Oh, like, God. you're already on the way to the store. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, you've already decided. No. Like, that mind's been made up because you've taught your brain that that's what it wants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, no, that's the I'll whole be... thing is the, the cognitive behavioral yeah. therapy, I think, is, the, is what I prefer as a method to alleviate the... Cravings. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Ugh, Jesus. So if you've been uh, listening to this show, uh, you'll know that every segment, we always talk about McDonald's at least once. McDonald's yep. hasn't come up in our conversation yet today, right? We haven't talked about McDonald's yet. We have yet. not. What's your take on this new craze with the fake meat, with the Impossible oh. Burger, the Beyond Burger? Yeah. Because McDonald's is about to launch their Beyond Burger, so their oh. answer to the Impossible Whopper. I did start to read the Tad Friend article that's in the New Yorker this week that is about it. I should have yeah. finished reading it, knowing that I was coming on here. I mean, you know, who's going to argue with the idea that, like, trying to get fewer cows on the land is a winning proposition? When I go out for a I'll burger... I'll argue with it, and I'll tell you why. Well, okay, please tell me. I mean, I'm just saying, when I go out to eat a burger, I it's kind of an event for, for me, you know? Yeah. Like, it's a rare scenario for me that I eat a burger as a default food thing, yeah. which I feel like is why people go to McDonald's. Like, the majority of people who are eating at McDonald's are not going, oh, you know what I'm really in the mood for? It's a convenience food. It's there. It's yeah, fucking they available. have a drive-thru. I don't eat a ton of meat, I think probably compared to the average American, but I also am not I don't have any, like, scruples about it or, I, you know, I'm not, like, I don't have a, a diet that I follow or whatever else. You know, we make meat at home somewhat. Mostly I eat meat out and I want it to be 
kind of good. If we could get the people who don't give a shit about the meat that they're eating, they just want it because it's cheap and fast and available, which is maybe all of us sometimes, eating something that's kind of every bit as good if it becomes affordable, which it certainly is not right now, mm-hmm. and doesn't require like clearing a Brazilian rainforest to put cattle on. No. I don't know, like who's in a position to complain? You are clearly, why? I mean, I'm not in a position <laughs> to complain about the rainforest. So let's, let's just be upfront about that. No, I think that it's, it's uh, well, first of all, I'm fascinated with like all of these vegetarians and vegans and people who are like, oh my God, it's like a burger. Like everybody really needed that cheeseburger fix. You know, it's funny to hear everybody so enthusiastic about it to begin with. And most people want to give you their opinion. It does taste just like beef. And yep. I'm like, well, that's fantastic. You know, uh, I also, I will say, I like veggie burgers. Yeah. And if uh, yeah, I want I a non-meat like burger, I don't I like them as a meat burger. substitute. I sort of like them as their as own As a veggie thing. burger. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. used to go to this place in Boston called like JM Curly's where I'd get one veggie patty and a beef patty with a fried egg and cheese. And it was delicious. Nice. That sounds amazing. Um, it actually. was delightful. Now, the thing is with these patties, these patties are loaded with shit. Like if you look at the, the ingredients... There's, a, there's definitely at least 10 ingredients in each of these Beyond Burger yeah. and the Impossible Burger. I got one of them from Hannaford at one point earlier yeah. this summer. I made them on the grill. And it was like $18 for two patties. Jeez, I, didn't, and, I, didn't, and I, really, I did not realize it was that expensive because that makes my next point I even might be more relevant but. because, see, I'm like, you know, you might be against, if, if you're a vegetarian, not so much because of a religious or, or just taste preference, which is yeah, perfectly yeah, yeah. fine. If you're doing it because of the... Uh, humane treatment of animals. Sure. Uh, I feel that rather than yeah. buy this chemical patty that's produced in a factory, I think it's much better to support a local farm that treats their animals very humanely. Sure. Um, buy some really high quality short rib and chuck and grind your own burger. Oh. And therefore you have one ingredient, uh, two with salt. Yeah. And, and, and make that. So you have a two ingredient burger that's all natural delicious. Yeah, but this is, you're setting up a false, uh, uh, you know, tension And then you're supporting the people who take good care of the animals. Oh, totally. But the people who are small-scale farmers that take really good care of the animals, like, those people are not who the Impossible Burger is out to replace, right? Well, no, I guess, I don't know who that's out to, That's that's what I mean. I mean, I think the promise of them, as far as I'm concerned, and I guess that's what I mean when I say, like, when I go out to get a burger, I want it to be a really, you know, good burger. And if an Impossible Burger can do that, then hooray. I also didn't know they're that expensive. I just think that, like, like the impossible, the, the promise of the impossible burgers, and I don't know a ton about this, but like what's exciting about that to me is not that they're going to displace the $18 burger that I get at Floods. I actually, it might, I don't, that actually probably is not so far off. I just went to Floods this weekend, place in Portland. It's yeah, amazing. yeah. Love Floods. Amazing yeah, burger. I just wrote about uh, Floods, yeah. Oh yeah, it's my first time there and they had a really terrific burger. Yes. And like, I don't know where that meat came from. I'm not even sure if it was uh, That the is uh, that locally sourced meat. I, they I, mean, it I assume yeah. it was, mm-hmm. right? I don't want that replaced with an impossible burger. Right. I want the grade G meat like in a million fast patty. food places yeah. that is like not great to begin with, but also like contributing substantially to climate change and in you know enriching uh, some you know industrial rancher. But that these has things are made in factories too, heart. though. Sure, fair Maybe enough. Maybe not for animals. They're not made by clearing the land, and that's not right. that's not nothing. You know. Right. Now, to be fair. I don't know. We don't Maybe know how they're made, though, pour, actually. Maybe you have to pour, like, yeah. buckets of petroleum into, like, <laughs> I feel like an incinerator we need to see all for every single burger. To make this um, call. But know? my understanding is that's not the case. You know, right. based on reading, like, <laughs> one-fourth of a New Yorker article, like, all of an <laughs> outside article two years ago. Burgers. Definitely not an authority. Yeah. But, but if, if, you know, the idea is that, like, you can produce an Impossible Burger... 
and create less carbon, less waste, less, you know, human and animal and vegetable misery than you can by producing cheap meat. And it's cheap meat that deserves to be replaced, not good meat. Then, uh, hell yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. So I made them on the grill this summer. Did they it taste were, like beef? They, it kind of did. It tasted like okay beef, you know? Like the kind um, of beef it's supposed to replace? Kind of. Okay. And that's just right. it. Well, you then, know? I, then I, I think it's served its purpose. Though. I think so. All right. I've never it's had really one. expensive. So. I need to, before I get all judgy, I mean, I'll be judgy anyway, but I think I, I got to find out for myself here. Maybe I'll get a, uh, a double cheeseburger with one impossible, one beyond patty on there, and I'll just, <laughs> but, you know, that's how I'm going to roll from here on out. You if heard that's it first our obligatory here. McDonald's mention, by the way, I'm super relieved because, as you know, I've listened to this podcast, yeah. and um, and so I knew that it was coming, and I like I don't eat it at McDonald's often yeah. enough, although I did in Ellsworth at 5 o'clock clock in the morning the other day because I was listening well, to you while oh, driving. Oh, that's through. right. You told me that. Yeah. Yes. Well, uh, I'll tell you. I, one thing that I, the most important thing that I learned from this podcast that I, I repeated at the McDonald's, like I said, it's the very occasional breakfast and the extremely occasional filet of fish generally for me at this point with McDonald's, always to the drive-thru. The very occasional but breakfast. Spose was talking about the condiments. Oh, yes. And so I ordered a sausage muffin with egg and I got a side of honey and I put the honey on that. And it was freaking delicious, man. Yeah. It was like, Bon Appetit did their like ultimate breakfast sandwich this one time. Yeah. And so I was like, the sausage patty, the American cheese, hot sauce like Tabasco, honey. Yeah. Um, I think they did like a baked egg, a sort of like a, an om- like a rolled omelet deal with on an English muffin. And I, I replicated that. I mean, it's pretty similar to what I was making for breakfast sandwiches anyway, to be honest. Um, so I like maple syrup on my sausage. Personally. Sure. So I was like, why not honey? And so, yeah, and I, I forgot that McDonald's had brought back the honey because they didn't have it for a while. So I was a kid getting chicken nuggets, getting sea nugs. You always dip the sea nugs in the honey. And then they got rid of the honey, and they had, like, honey mustard. Not the same thing. But then when no, I really brought that back, I was like, oh. I started thinking. The gears started turning, and I was like, I'm going to put honey on my breakfast sandwich, and it was delightful. So thank you, Spose, for that. But, yeah, we don't it's, – it's fine. I think it sounds like this is a very relevant McDonald's conversation for you. Having read one-third Actually, well, you just your take on it. Yeah. Now, Can I tell you that I don't like honey because I don't like bees? And I just avoid honey on principle because I think bees are little fucks that <laughs> contribute nothing to the world. The bees? Uh, yeah. I'm the bees are the most important animal in the world. I thought that's what people were saying. That's though. what everybody claims. But yeah. I, have a I don't go near them because they sting. Because they sting. And when I was, uh, how old are you? <laughs> the only you... person really against the bees. This segues perfectly to the next thing I want to talk about. I'm, I'm fully against bees and I boycott honey <laughs> because I don't want to encourage them. And I feel like, don't if, encourage the I feel bees. like if bees, uh, important pollinators, Though they may be, were just to get out of the way, like hummingbirds and bats would fill in the gap. We just haven't like given them an opportunity, and they don't sting, and they're beautiful. Okay, um, so bat honey? Yep. Well, no, no, no. I don't care about honey. Whatever. <laughs> fine. Honey's gone. We don't need honey. Uh, well, this is a this is bound to be the most controversial. But if you've made it this far, you love us anyway. So I think that that segues in. What's your take on because New York is facing the possibility of, of a foie gras ban which is ludicrous in my opinion. Oh yeah I guess I saw PETA that. PETA people love to act like foie gras is the public enemy number one and they really have no idea because those ducks are actually it's funny they don't actually have a gag reflex A and they're really only force fed for about a solid three minutes of their entire life and their livers are worth $100 a piece. So these animals are treated better than most people are. Yeah. If you've ever been to like Hudson Valley and seen these facilities, they're clean. They're, they never you know, have. Happy, yeah. happy ducks. And actually, if you put a, a duck in a dark room, it'll force feed itself anyway. So, and so the, <coughs> PETA, the PETA people love to act like the foie gras is the enemy. But these are the same people <coughs> that will turn around and they will go buy Purdue chicken 
or they'll buy like a McChicken or the something. People? Yeah, I guess. I don't think they do. They will. <laughs> and if they aren't doing it themselves, that's who they should be outside the factory with their picketing and their signs is people who jam hundreds of thousands of chickens into a tight space sure. covered in their own shit. Yeah. And they're pumping them out the volume on an industrial scale. You're going after the people who are charging $100 for a duck liver and the ducks are living in the well, happiest fucking ducks. This that is a marketing meet. decision though, right? Like, I mean, yeah. I think your workaday PETA person not being one and not knowing any, but is just as pissed about the factory farming, if not more, but it's much harder to galvanize public, you know, all But that's what they should be focusing that. their effort on rather than sure, wasting sure, sure, it but on a product that doesn't deserve... <laughs> Any of the things they say about it, or the yeah, they give it. yeah. I mean, I'm sure you're right. I don't know. Enough I'm about always Florida right, Rock. a, and I'm definitely <laughs> right about this. But I mean, like, I guess I think if if the criticism of PETA is that like you're picking the wrong battle because you misunderstand the treatment, you know, it's that's misplaced criticism because they're not. I think they understand the treatment fine. They just know what's gonna like get them better press, right? Who's to critique them from a marketing standpoint? I am. Uh, yeah, and it's, <laughs> it is a totally fair criticism, yeah. I guess. You know, I. Well, anybody trying to keep foie gras away from us, or they deserve. I had it exactly one time. I waited tables really? post Applebee's. And Applebee's they had no, the foie gras. No? <laughs> <laughs> I waited tables at exactly one nice place in Minneapolis, and uh, I don't even think it was on the regular menu there. I think it was a special menu, but I can remember asking if I could. I just have some just to sort of like say that I tried it and I thought it was great. Yeah, I, I don't it's know. It's delicious. It's uh, one of the most decadent foods. You don't gorge just, on it. It's like caviar. You don't gorge on it. Right. You have it in appropriate portions and it's a delicacy and it is uh, wonderful and delicious when it's uh, prepared the and right maybe way. if I knew more, I would be able to make moral comparisons between like the the wrongness of treatment of that particular animal versus the wrongness of treatment of any other animals that I managed right. to ingest. But I have a feeling it's all fairly similar. Uh, <laughs> we'll just go with that for now. I've been to a festival in Rockland where we boil an animal alive in the middle of the room. That's and, true. Like, we've built an entire state identity about it, and I love to eat it, and I don't think we should stop. So nope. I don't know if I'm really in a position to throw stones. I think you are. <laughs> I think we should do whatever well, we want. I'm going to refrain from it. <laughs> I think that whatever, we know what's best for everyone, and that's, that's just the way it's going to be. Uh, so I was also spending time getting into the restaurant industry. When I like to get angry and aggravated with things, I like to read Eater. That's the voice of people who I can't stand in the restaurant business. Why? Uh, I don't dislike Eater. It's like I... that young, like... Like tips from like a young gun chef, like a DIY taco bar at home. Like anybody ever thought of that before? Or like, you know, like, oh, it's why based Chef Todd, my imaginary yes. chef character, is based on those kinds of people. Uh, people who, for instance, so the restaurant business, there's like these people up in arms right now because, hey, you know, there's the constant battle of like the tipping, you know, trying to eliminate tipping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think is dumb because I, like I said, I worked in restaurants for 20 years. When was the last time you worked in restaurants? Uh, 2017, uh, which was oh, actually the, what I discussed in episode one. That was the incident. That was my last, uh, my last shift in a restaurant. And I think that when I was, when I started, it was like, when you decide to work in a restaurant, you have a choice to make. Do you want to make more money and work the front of the house and deal with the public yeah. and people or do you want to make less money and work harder, but not to have to deal with people yeah, and work yeah, in yeah. the back of the house? Yeah. And those were usually, that was the choice you made. Yeah. Because anybody can do either, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, arguably. Depending on the arguably. position. Arguably. Anybody not can anybody learn, can anybody can learn fucking front of the house. Yeah. I think that cooking might be the harder um, one to learn. You know, it, yes, but I anybody, agree. But anybody can fucking learn to bus a table if they have to bus or whatever. Table. I do think waiting tables is a, is a, is a skill of bordering course on it's a vocation, Of course but, there are better uh, waiters than others. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. if you put your mind to it, it's not fucking rocket science. Yeah. 
So to me, I've never had any sympathy for the wage disparity between the front and back of the house. Because I'm like, you know, and then and the worst thing to me is when the owners are like bitching about it. They're like, well, you know, my servers are making so much money and my back of the house. And I'm like, well, that sounds like boogie night. So that sounds like a YP, not an MP. Which is your problem, none of my problem. Like, well, you're the owner. Maybe you should fucking pay them more. Right. If you want to make more money, right. pay them more fucking money. If you, you know, maybe take some money out of your own profit. If you're the bleeding heart type that's so concerned with them, you know, that's what your food prices, that's what your alcohol prices, that's yeah. what the sales are supposed to cover. Yeah. Tips are from the from the customer's understanding are what's paying us. Now, I don't agree in this whole. I think there are policies now where they they're trying to insist that or require that servers and bartenders are paid a certain hourly which i also think is bullshit mm. uh, i think things were fine the way they were three bucks an hour you don't get a paycheck oh, you get tips yeah. you know that's just how it is you make more money so i i never thought that system was really broken to begin with and like i said and then the people being like well what am i supposed to do like well just you have to give them a raise is what we call it is when because no other industry do people whine like this there's this whole thing on eater where people were all bent out of shape because uh, a notable sports writer in Chicago ate at a place, and apparently on the check, these people put a surcharge. Yeah, for healthcare. That said health insurance. Yeah, this has been a thing. So the guy was like, "What the fuck?" It was like a dollar sixty-eight. I mean, it's not like the amount. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just like no, I saw this going by. And, this and week of course, too. everybody jumps on him for like being cheap, and I'm like, no, like. Why do you have to put that on there? Yeah. Like, why don't just build that into pay for the health insurance by all means, but just build it into the prices or like well, and so build I'll, it into something else. You don't have to list it on a fucking check. You don't go to like books a million or fucking the bank or yeah. whatever, or you don't go to like any business literally. Yeah. And they list on your receipt. You don't go to Best Buy and they're like health insurance. Yeah. Like so, restaurants are the only fucking business. What do we know about the restaurants that are doing that? Like, it, I, I guess like. Is it is it coming from a restaurant owner who is trying to make the point that like oh, I'm providing health having insurance, having to pay for my having to pay for my employees' yeah. health insurance is just cutting into my margin. Those people are so the, or or is it the other side? Because I could kind of see it both ways. Where you know it's saying like the the health insurance system in this country is so fucked, it ought to be socialized in some fashion well, or another. This is the, but restaurants are not the just place to make so a you're aware statement. that they, aren't they though. But I mean, not like they, that, not to every not? single customer. Yeah. Like, not unwillingly to people. Like I, I don't, think it's kind of a gauche thing to do to put it on there, almost regardless really gauche, of which yeah. side you're like, coming from. I agree from, with you. I think everybody should get health insurance. Restaurants wouldn't be a place to make I mean, I'm a health insurance broker. Else. I understand <laughs> that it's, the industry is fucked and yeah. the prices are fucked. Yeah, I get yeah, yeah. that part. Yeah. But I'm like, you don't have to put it on a check and label it as such. Yeah. Just put anything else. Yeah. Or just raise your prices by 50 cents a piece. Right, right, right. And that'll already be more than the $1.68. It's like, Nobody wants to see that on a on a restaurant check because well, but I mean, are they doing place. it because they know nobody wants to see it and they want That's to confront the you with it? So you're aware right. of the cause, which is like then if, if people so, get wild direction? up, then fuck you if you're upset about that right, because right, you're right. trying to upset people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I guess the whole that's why I don't like eater because the eater crowd are the people that are like, oh, you're an asshole yeah. if you have a problem with this. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, no, but I'm I mean, not an like, asshole. Well, that's what I wonder. Yeah, because my magazine costs uh, five ninety nine on the newsstand, I think, yeah. and like you know, and you don't put like a health insurance surcharge. Well, yeah, and you know, and a subscription costs thirty bucks a year, whatever right. it is, and like that, you know, is a significant portion of our revenue, and that goes to paying for our like mediocre health insurance. Like, like you know what that <laughs> works like, like a business. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, like a business works yeah. where you. Make Make money and the revenue goes towards paying yeah. your employees and you decide whether to contribute to the health care or pay for it yeah. uh, flat out. And I'm not saying restaurant restaurants should absolutely do that. Yeah. But you don't have to put it on a check. Like, dude, what? 
And for, for what? For a dollar sixty-eight, and you're like causing this whole thing. It's so like we dude, don't know. We don't know if the person that put it on that check that got all the Twitter attention this week. We don't know if the owner of that restaurant is like, uh, you know, uh, feeling the burn and like advocating for single payer, and that was their way of saying like, look at what a fucked up right. system this is. Or if they're like indignant that they have to pay for it, and it's their way of saying, I won't do it. You have to. It sounds like they're indignant, but they're also showboating that they pay for it. Interesting. That's what I think. Like, look at me. I take care of my employees. You should help me take. Care of my employees, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you know, are, you're saying, you don't want my employees to have health insurance. There. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah I'm but helping you. Vo- That's how business works. I'm helping you by being you know, a fucking patron. I'm remembering something you know? about this though. It did say it was a voluntary charge, right? Well, right. And it's like who's That's you? pretty interesting. And why would you I mean, put a voluntary charge on a charge? Well, that is so stupid. That to me says it's somebody who's not oh, at, you like trying to make a point about the fucked upness of the system yeah. and like advocating for a better way. That to me, by making it a voluntary charge, says to me it's somebody who like does doesn't care to pay out of their Absolutely. revenue and so is saying like hey be a good person and pitch in well it's you like know. there was this coffee shop on congress street for a while they and they were going out of business and that's an abdication of your responsibility and they had a fucking an jar out being like save our business yeah donate money and i'm like well we're doing our part by being customers because that's uh, how business works like we're coming in i'm not yeah. giving you extra what business yeah, uh, it was called or, north star cafe it was a coffee okay. shop next to the snug but I'm like, I'm not giving you extra money because you can't, your business isn't doing well. I'm doing my part by being a customer. Well, this is not, you know, not germane to media because there's a couple of, um, you know, websites I visit or publications that I'll visit periodically. I'm pretty sure The Guardian does this, actually, yeah. where, you know, they're selling ads, they're presumably sponsoring events, they're doing whatever publications yeah. do to earn revenue. But you also get a little thing at the end yeah, of the article that says like if you enjoy this, yeah. kick in an extra 3 or $4. I think that's perfectly fine. Do you... I, 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 I've not really figured out my stance on it. I would not well, advocate I do for because you know why? Because it. most people use the Guardian services for free. Oh, fuck yeah, they do. Whereas yeah. restaurants, I'm not eating their food for free right, or right, drinking right, their right, booze right, for right, free. Right, I'm right, paying right. for that. Yeah. Whereas yeah, I'm yeah. not paying. I love Felicity Cloak, and I think she's one of the best food writers out there works yeah. for the Guardian. But what about music? What about Radiohead? <laughs> this I'm is a like Patreon years for the hard times. Oh, interesting. Because it's my favorite thing I read every day. So I'm like, of course I'll contribute to this because it's delightful. But you typically pay for a Radiohead album. I'm just going to take us back like 15 years to when <laughs> what, I in Rainbows? For the, yeah, in Rainbows. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, that's 15 a little, years, 20 years? They were the first ones. They were the first ones. They, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. they were the first ones that got a lot of attention for it, you know? Yeah. And you typically were accustomed to paying well, for that Well, of course, when you two just made you have their album. <laughs> like, yeah. You know what? You don't even get to choose. We're just nope, giving we're just you gonna the album. Spawn, yeah, and now it's your problem. Ridiculous. Yeah. Did you ever? I never I never listened to it. Everybody was basically just desperately trying to get it off their fucking phone. I don't even dislike you two. No, but, but I was like, I, I didn't dislike want this that. Yeah, <laughs> who could actually be considered cool? Like, what I'll be listening to—the yeah. one that we all got for free. But look at Eater. I mean, you know, yeah. here is a, a, a publication that's food-oriented that's put out by the Vox Empire that just bought New York Magazine. Okay, right? um, we know more about that business. I think I do. I do yeah. yeah, but that's newsy. I mean, that just happened this week. Like the people that own Eater bought New York Magazine, which is this oh. storied publication yeah. in our I world, in the like you know city regional-ish world. I mean, they're a national magazine, but. And have all these great web properties, but like, ain't nobody paying to read Eater, you know? And nope. I don't know that advertising revenue or, or or freemium models or like you know pay to get an extra podcast models are necessarily funding that. I think it's all venture capital. So you know, from like your corner business that was a cafe, you know, to the magazine that you're reading about this garbage, like yep. nobody understands how to make money anymore. Oh. I mean, it's 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 a it's a 
weird era to be well, a especially consumer. to make money in print. It's got to be a little creative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Down East is lucky because they have a lot of um, subscribers, which most places don't have the luxury of having. We are in a weird position yeah. that fifty percent, I mean, ballpark of our revenue actually comes from which from from great, people right? paying to read the magazine rather yeah. than advertising. It's great in some ways. Yeah, it makes you a little bit like. I mean, uh, it's pretty cool, and you'll probably have to cater a little more to. Well, you're like <laughs> yeah. you do, you know, but that's a kind of a privilege in a way, and you're yeah. recession proof in a right. sense. Like as long as people, like if people are still subscribing to your magazine, right. they're going to keep subscribing to your magazine. But I imagine you talked about this with Knowlton to some degree, or because I mean you. Look at Bon Appetit, and they're like putting so much into video right now. These food videos. I know you want to talk about social media. I don't want to steer the oh, conversation. Oh, I'm, I'm, like, I'm You can go wherever you they're want. They're just doing a ton of these food videos, a ton of food videos, and they're, they're those. expensive. The they cost talent, they cost production. You know, I think you pay to promote them, but like, do those make money? I don't think. What that about they Vice? Do. I mean, do those make money? Everything well, on Vice, Vice seems is free. the same deal, yeah. though. I mean, Vice is like venture capital funded. Because those are cheap. Those videos, and those series, they do. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they just bought. Uh, Refinery29 this week which oh, was really? founded by Maynard yeah, incidentally yeah, yeah. co-founded oh, by Maynard that. Pierre Gilardi um, yeah. that just happened I mean there's been these couple of like high profile acquisitions so the key is mergers to kind of keep everything going but it's all chimerical because yeah. it's mergers of, of 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 publishers that are founded by venture capital and like have yet to produce a profit I think yeah. I think I don't know so much about Vox but uh, I think that's the deal with Vice I think this that's what happened the deal with, with Dispatch refinery. is what you're telling me in a <laughs> this sense this is why I lost my job with Dispatch no I mean I love writing for Dispatch Dispatch tried yeah. to do what these places yeah. aren't doing no, which totally. is like actually be a self-sustaining publishing entity but that's yeah. a rare kind of thing these it's, days this day and age it's very difficult and maybe that's the model that we're headed to from your local cafe to your food focused publication to your actual goddamn restaurant which is like the amount we're charging you for our service cannot pay to keep us going yeah. we're relying on you to like it enough to kick in a little it's extra. like what's next bring in bring in your fucking W2s so we can see what you make and we'll charge you based on a slide yeah, scale yeah, yeah. your income but isn't like, that what Radiohead was kind like of banking YMCA. on all those years ago which is that like a certain amount of people are going to pay us like it. this base level and then we're just counting on was the, that like, successful for them generosity I don't know they're still making music but I'm saying did you, do you know specifically if In Rainbow's I've garnered as much I money as they no thought it would. It's a good album. Uh, it, uh, all it, I need it's on. still it's like great. people still like it, right? Yeah. Um, no, no, no. I just, I just didn't know. I mean, everything's free now. I don't either. I mean, uh, I pay for three. I pay for two music. I pay for Spotify and Apple Music. I you pay do. For, I pay for everything. I pay for like nine streaming services. Like I don't even think so about it. Why do you do it? Do you do it out of consideration? Just so for the I can artists? do whatever I want. Uh, what does that mean? It means if I feel like <laughs> listening to something on this, I can just do it without thinking about it. Uh-huh. I don't like ads. Yeah, yeah, I you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Spotify, you know, brutal. If I want to watch something, sometimes if I want to watch, like, if a new season of uh, Cobra Kai comes out on YouTube, I'll get uh-huh. YouTube Red for two months, then I'll cancel it. Okay, but you don't do it out of like fine feeling or something for the artists in the no, way I that do it the for local access cafe. to content. Okay, I want premium content. You're not doing it out of a sense of moral obligation. No, I don't oh, do okay, anything okay, out of okay. a sense of moral obligation because that's why the people want you to pay for the healthcare, and yeah. that's why the people want you to pay. And for that is the... an ineffective business model. Uh-huh. Guilting people into doing things is an ineffective business model. I don't think everybody's gotten that memo, dude. Um, well, they will, right. though. Yeah. I, think, I think you're absolutely right. I think we should finish on a, a slightly higher note here. How can we get any higher? Uh, well, they're opening <laughs> the first cannabis restaurant in uh, the Lowell Cafe in West Hollywood. I mean, there's obviously a lot of rules and regulations around it, but they don't serve alcohol. Mm. They have, like, essentially, like, 
cannabis sommeliers that come around and they'll like roll you a joint at the table. You pick a weed. If you bring your own weed, they 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 charge a tokage fee, like a corkage oh, fee, yeah, a corkage. and they'll okay. roll a joint with your weed. Cool, because rolling um, a joint is a pain in the ass. Let's well, face right. it. Right, and that's pretty cool if they do that. <laughs> Andrea Drummer is a veteran cannabis chef, and I'm like, you know what? Anybody mm. who's smoked weed is a veteran cannabis chef, and they're like, you know, she's apparently created dishes that complement cannabis, and I'm like, everything fucking complements cannabis. That's Wait. the whole point of getting stoned. Is yeah. everything tastes delicious. Time out. She's cooking with cannabis or she's cooking no. food that tastes good while you're... dishes that complement like oh. cinnamon toast crunch infused milkshakes or, you know, <laughs> vegan nachos with cauliflower meat and cashew cheese, which you'd have to be stoned to enjoy. You know, <laughs> things like that. It's like you're, you're making food that tastes good with weed. Like everything. Like everybody who smokes weed does that. Like, there are certain foods that... Right. Go, and that, that, that's you, what you weed does. Weed makes food taste good. That's like, <laughs> that's like being like, she made food that pairs cereal. well with salt. It's like, <laughs> you know, like, everything fucking tastes good with weed. So who do you think it's pitching to? Like, hardcore, uh, like, identity pot smokers? Or well, just... I don't know. I think, well, that's the problem. Is It's, it's going to be like a novelty. Mm. And I'm like, oh, as a server, you want to talk about, like, nightmare situations. You don't now like I novelty shticks. I don't I like novelty shticks. I figured this much And I also, already. as a server... The last thing I want to do, it's bad enough with like over-serving people alcohol. The last thing I want is like dealing with people get weirdly stoned and now they're like wanting to get the fuck out of there or they're, you know, like can't Ooh. stop laughing or they just can't handle their weed and they're being all fucking strange. And I'm like, well, now I have to babysit this asshole because yeah. he got too stoned. You got to figure the way staff is going to be prepped for that sort of thing. I mean, you got to hope they are. I don't know. Maybe like a um, smelling that, smelling salts or that something. That like, said, isn't there a whole Amsterdam or something like places well, where this is not right. a novelty where like people have learned to handle their shit. Right. And, and if you, you don't, don't and people definitely around. get all fucked up in those places and can't yeah. necessarily handle it. But I think that's. And it's also a cultural thing. I mean, when people yeah. are going in like, oh, man, this is cool. It's our first weed restaurant. Do, you call, do we call it weed anymore? I don't it's, know. It's all like your cannabis now. Do I, you get high? I, I don't know. How I do. I haven't, I haven't been. But I certainly enjoy. Uh, but I, I like to smoke it. I don't like to vape it. Yeah. I like flour. I have an awesome pipe. When I do choose to smoke it, it's delightful. You know, it's just very, you know, very adult. You don't, like, yeah. get stoned and go blow 500 bucks and oh, yeah. you're not really hung over in the morning. It's like the worst that happens is you might need too much food. Uh, that's pretty right. much the extent of the consequences. Right. Like, let's just say an eighth would last me two months. But it seems to me that that's the kind of place that is geared towards somebody for whom smoking pot is part of their identity. Right. And I think that like nine out, eight out of ten of your tables are going to be cool. I, but I yes. think two out of ten are going to be a fucking liability. Because especially when they're like, oh, give me the, and they're trying to impress their date. How much, how fucking, it's like that Louis C.K. sketch when he gets all stoned at the end and thinking he's all cool, like taking his <laughs> jean jacket, bad company hits, and you're then has a whole ordeal. You're not allowed to find you Louis C.K. funny anymore. I FYI. can do whatever I want. Uh, I've already stated podcast. that. I know everything. I'm always right. Your last your last gig uh, at a restaurant, were you front of the house or back of the house? You were always fun. I've always. never worked back of the oh, house I because I've never wanted cooking to be work. Oh, I've okay. never wanted to feel like, I've never wanted to make the same dish a hundred times. Do you have dreams about it? Waiting tables? Uh-huh. Not anymore. Oh. I did, I mean, for a long time. I haven't Working waited at a table and... since, yeah, 2006 or something, and I still consistently, I would say every two months, I have, like, a stress wow. dream. Wow, and that oh, was the yeah. Applebee's, too. Maybe every three months. The Applebee's was the worst, but, I mean, yeah. it's not just that. I mean, I waited tables in a lot of places. I made bank working at Dude. Applebee's in... I mean, I'm uh, sure, it's, and it's consistent. Like, North it's hard to really Wisconsin. put a proper value on, like, the consistency. I mean, Applebee's is a sucky chain, I think. I went to college uh, in a town where Applebee's was, like, a, where you went to dinner on a Friday night. Like, right. there weren't a whole 
lot of better it was alternatives. It's kind of comforting. Whatever. The time. You've seen Friday Night Lights. Yes. Or, yes. That's uh, both the very, show and the movie. Yeah. And the I've show also seen the Applebee's commercial Applebee's. where they open up for the football team in the rain because they're closed oh. and the bus pulls up and the coach uh, is like, oh, they're closed. The guy comes out. He's like, I'll open up for you guys. And they let the football team in. You know, it's one yeah, of those like, deal, like fucking Texas. But in the one TV of those version Texas of, rainy nights, you in know? In the TV version of FNL, it was like where Coach and Tammy and like everybody from town like gathered. And that was that was very much like. I want to watch where I. I get a little, I get a little uh, misty during the opening scene of FNL. I like anytime that, show. that I opening that theme song makes me during my courtship with my wife. We like uh, watch it, and I that's have that's very, that's a, I uh, you know what I don't think I've ever. I've always watched that show alone. I always, you know, my courtship show is The Office. Uh, and I always get to like season seven before we break up. And then they always finish it without me. So I've seen like season one through seven a whole bunch of times. Occasionally you, I go back and watch it. You've never nine. had a relationship that lasted all the way through. I don't uh, think I have. Or maybe maybe you should we switch to the British it. office because I think it was on for a short Sometimes year. you know your relationship is, is going sour by how many offices you want to watch in one night because you don't have to want to actually talk to the person. Hey, we should watch a fifth one. Maybe we'll put another one on so somebody will fall asleep. Well, I, I dream know. about getting double sat. I dream about I dream about having oh, a table. I can the, handle being double sat. It's oh, being quadruple, triple sat. Triple sat. No, no, no. But yeah. Or there's a table in the corner that you didn't know was there and they've been waiting and you just yeah. realized it. Well, you Stuff know what? Like that. That's that's somebody that's a that's a YP, uh, not an MP cuz I'm like, you know what? Hey, hostess should have told me. Also, uh, have you ever seen those outstanding in the field dinners? Oh yeah, they yeah. do. That yeah. to me is They're like a bad here. server or, dream, uh, like this mile-long table in the woods that goes <laughs> off into the nothingness. It's like a fucking Chris it's like a Chris Van Allsburg fucking story, wreck of the Zephyr or the Polar Express, it's just a fucking table out in the middle of nowhere and this table's this chairs as ending. far as the eye can see. It never ends. <laughs> and they all and want people hot are all tea. showing up, and they're all getting served the same course at once. Like, that to me is the worst server dream, uh, and it's a reality. And I'm like, yeah. and people are like, do you want to go to that? I'm like, fuck no, dude. I am good with that. <laughs> all set. So you'd be on the other side of it. You'd nope, be the all set. Don't want to do it. Don't want to contribute to it in any way. And on that note... I think uh, I'd like to thank you for contributing in such a delightful way. Thanks for letting to me. episode nine. This has been fun. So this is the end of your season, or no, that's not things that, never end. I mean, you know, did, why even have seasons? I don't know. Why, why, why do I suddenly want to quote the crow and just be like it can't rain all the time? I don't really know why. It doesn't mean anything. It just... Never saw the movie. Had the soundtrack because that. Was <laughs> oh, the soundtrack to the crow is amazing. Yeah. I love the uh, Nine Inch Nails cover of the Joy Division it was song. Really good. The Dead Souls yeah, yeah, yeah. is uh, really great. So yeah, we don't really know. We don't really talk about seasons but you're not um, taking a break though you're gonna keep on oh we're gonna keep going i like this podcast yep. i have told you that we are gonna uh, keep going as long as we get help from our wonderful sponsors which uh today we'd like to thank termaline spring water uh, amethyst lecture cbd drops uh living nuts with the zed organically sprouted nuts the old port sea grill in Portland's Old Port. We love them. Uh, Bob's Clam Hut in both Kittery and their new Portland location. And lastly, if you have not had a crawler at Lil's Cafe in Kittery, you need to go do that tomorrow morning. They're really good. You have to do it. I'm Joe Riccio, and this is the Food Coma Podcast. <laughs>